G'day, everyone. Quick message before we start. What we're trying to do with this podcast is to help people better understand their mind and how it works and give people practical strategies they can use to maintain and improve their mental health. Would you consider helping us to continue to do that with a financial contribution, large or small? If so, thank you. Just follow the link in the show notes. All donations, $2 or more, are tax deductible. Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind and how it works and mental illness and mental health. I'm with Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. Now, we've done an episode on loneliness, the difficulties of feeling that you're alone. This app is sort of the flip side of that, the upside of being alone. So I've been hassling Ian to do this topic uh, because I was an only child, I spent a lot of time alone. Some of it was a bit lonely, lots of it wasn't. And to this day, I still feel to be at my best mental health-wise, I need a bit of alone time each day. I live with four people, my family, I really like them, they're all very nice. Um, and I do various other things, but I just kind of feel I need a bit of time each day when I'm alone, going for a walk or alone in the house or whatever, and if I don't get it, I maybe get a bit, uh. For me, it feels a bit like I'm filling up at the petrol station, replenishing myself, getting ready for the next round of social interaction. But I suspect Ian's different. Whilst I had zero siblings, he had six, and he's got nearly as many kids and lives a much busier life than me. So I suspect his need for some alone time might be less. We'll find out. So what is the difference between being alone and being lonely? Can being alone be good for us? In fact, an essential part of maintaining good mental health. Do some people need time alone more than others? Are there people who feel uncomfortable when they're alone, like those celebrities who travel around with an entourage? I'd hate an entourage. I get irritated with them. Ian. Uh, am I right? Do you have less of a need for alone time than me because you've been surrounded by more people all your life? What an excellent question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have a lower need for it. I think my social world is uh, very rich, some I might say overflowing. Yes. And I certainly enjoy a great deal, the company of others. Yes. However, it might surprise you, James. Yes. I do have the opportunity to be alone from time to time, often when travelling or in other cities or in working and... You take a lot of long plane trips. I take a lot of long plane trips. I often arrive in a city on the other side of the world yeah. at, at some ungodly hour of the morning. I recommend arriving in Paris at 6am Yeah, and going for a long walk. Uh, fix your jet lag. But also, I really enjoy... I do enjoy those periods where I have the opportunity because there are two things I think... Turning down what's going on. When you're in the yes. wider world, it, interactions with others turn everything up. Right. Being alone allows you to stop focusing on the external world or responding to everybody else and coming back inside your own head. And, and kind of think about what happened. Process it. Processing. Different, and, I, and I would also say think differently. Now, you might, I think some people like to go bushwalking and do yeah. things and just enjoy the physical world or – the silence or the other senses that come with just being not responding to people and faces and voices and social interactions. Yes. I enjoy the kind of different thinking that goes on when I'm on my own. Oh. 
in two ways, like walking, different kinds of thoughts, different kinds of trains of thought, which is my own internal train of thought. Like what? Oh, I'll be thinking about, for example, which mental health topics really matter or the nature of my relationships with kind of other people where there's only me in the conversation. Well, I say there's only me. There's actually two people. There's me and me. (laughs) There's a conversation with myself. I do that too. There's a conversation with myself. I'm going to ask you, how many people in your head? Yeah, it's me. (laughs) But it's like I'm talking to someone. There's me and me. Exactly. And it's a different kind of conversation. It's me talking with me from my perspective. Yeah. And looking at the world. Which is good because you can agree. (laughs) (laughs) I got to say, when disagreement breaks out, it's kind of hard to resolve. Yeah. But it is more reflective and it goes places which are unconstrained by what other people think. Yeah. It's not, I'm not constrained by other people's reactions. I'm only constrained by my own reactions. Yeah. Hmm. How come I feel like that about it? Or more importantly, I hadn't really thought about that in a while. So responsive to the external world. I hadn't really thought about it from my own perspective. Thought about it like it being... It might be work, it might be a relationship, yeah. it might be in my world also some academic topic I'm preoccupied with, which I've been dealing with superficially because I'm responding to other people all the time or I'm reconstructing that, you know, as one does in the social world, to fit in with wherever yeah. I am. So often when I need to think things through, yes, I need to take some time to be alone to allow the thought to go through, not just to be in a table tennis match, you know, ping-ponging back with somebody else all the time. But what is it that I'm trying to get to? What, what is it that's bugging me or I'm not resolving and I need to be alone yeah, to, to work think it out. that through? See, that sounds like a, a more impressive form of being alone than what I do. I, I feel like when I'm alone, uh, particularly when I'm walking, often with music in my ears, I'm just ridding myself of thought. I'm deliberately not thinking, and just trying to become blank. (laughs) Just trying to kind of experience, I don't know, walking along and listening to music and almost deliberately put all, like I'm writing a novel at the moment and I could definitely spend the time walking trying to unpick various problems that I've got, but I kind of almost deliberately don't and I just become blank faced and empty. That kind of seems good to me. Well, this is the turn down bit, I think, as well. Yeah. For people who do meditate or for people who do this regularly, they are deliberately trying to turn the internal world down. Now, for someone who is very active, we know this, you're very active on the internal world. You've got a lot of thoughts, a lot of things going normally. Yeah, too many. Too many. And you need to turn that down. And, and, and yes, true. people who are wired faster, more reactive, have a lot of more internal self-talk a lot of the time, often do need to turn that down. So to, in a sense, what you were focusing on, going blank. Yeah. You know, just just taking away so much rationality so much, and turning the internal voice off. Yeah. Not having a really vibrant conversation with themselves. Just be in the moment, be in the walk, be yeah. in the swim, be in wherever you are. Particularly people this is where people really love, I think, being alone in nature, like, like going for a walk or walking on a great beach, walking through a forest, yeah. whatever they are. I think that's really interesting because uh, I do do that myself. Do you do, you do it? Yeah, I do it myself. I find it hard to imagine you doing it. Well, what happens then is, well, I, well, I think it, I don't set out and say, I'm going to go for a walk to think. Yeah. I actually say, I'm going to go for a walk. To blank out like me. Just but then to, you can't stop yourself Just to thinking. do. But then what is interesting, what happens when you do that? 
Now, I think what... for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in my own world, I find once you start doing it, and it's very interesting because this is at the heart of a lot of meditation and a lot of mindfulness, is just focusing on the physiology. You know, actually just trying to not so actively think or get involved in the kind of conversation I was talking about earlier. But then, and having... um, this is an interesting thing. Having spent a bit of time scanning people's heads oh, yeah. when they're not supposed to be thinking. Are they? They're supposed to be lying. Well, different heads are doing different things. Yeah. Some heads go more blank than others. Yeah. <laughs> the lights are on, but nobody's home. Others are clearly much more active. So some people don't need to turn it down. They're already turned down. If you say, like, lie in the dark and don't think much, they lie in the dark and right, don't think okay. much. Others, a different kind of spontaneity, a different kind of spontaneous mental activity breaks out. So can you make any generalizations about the, I guess, personality types of those two extremes, people who find it very easy to turn their head off and people who are more active? So there's a lot of kind of- Like, could I pick them? Well, I think if you go back two steps, if you're the sort of person that has and knows that you have a very active internal dialogue, yeah, you know, you're the sort of person who knows that when you're sitting, you're having a conversation with yourself, there are things going on. You can see that. What you don't see so much is what you might call a more creative kind of thing. People are having different, really different kinds of thoughts yep. uh, taking place. So they're not tied up in just the interactive world or more the rational world I was describing earlier on. They're just kind of thinking in different kinds of ways. So, yes, the more arousable people, the people who are more interactive tend to have this sort of more active active internal world. So so from what you said, I'm thinking like, you know, uh, artists, uh, entrepreneurs, you know, people who are looking at – people looking at being innovative and always changing idea for a new business, idea for something – as opposed to people who are more, I guess, you know, content with how things are and happy to roll it on again and again. Only partly. You know, the kind right. of – this comes back to other things like common ideas like extroversion and stuff. You know, there's yeah. some people who are going to where you're going with this episode. Some people are really unhappy being alone. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Right. So you said I'm very interactive in the world. I'm actually not unhappy to be alone. I quite like the people Yeah, I quite like alone, it too. But I also like being with people. Yeah. There are other people I'm not who saying I hate people. <laughs> <laughs> there are other people, you know, unless they're really interacting with people, they really hate being on they're their own. They're uncomfortable. They hate being on their own. Now, some people say they hate being on their own with their own thoughts. I'm going to put it the other way around. Some of those people don't have many of their own thoughts when they're on their own. It's a kind of more empty world. Oh, I see. You were going to something really interesting, I think, like artists and poets and writers. In fact, I was talking to one of my favorite philosophers on the way to this episode this morning. Really? He loves being in a room with books and writing, yeah, very, very full world, you know, his own world because he's creative and can think and can engage with that kind of stuff. So creative people are often alone is the best time. It's the most yeah. they're, they're not distracted by other people's view of the world. Their own world is breaking in. Yeah. By contrast, there are people who really don't like – the extroverted who rely on interaction with people, a lot of those people hate being on their own because nothing's happening. <laughs> they're stimulated by, their internal world is stimulated by the interaction with others and being on your own is very uncomfortable. Right. It's not just boring, it's very uncomfortable. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening in the external world. It's not stimulating my internal world. Yep. Let's rush out and find someone <laughs> or something 
to do or provide that stimulation, very much relying on stimulation from the external world. Are there many people like that? Mm, well, there's a distribution, Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, do they tend to be younger, i.e. as you get older, do you kind of learn to be on your own a bit more? Because it must be horrible for those people when they – you know, if they get into their 70s and 80s and their spouse dies and has become more socially isolated. So very bad for those people if if through social change or through physical illness or something else. Yeah. Or other things, of course, we've discussed before, like losing like your hearing or having other impairments right. that with, interfere with your interaction with the world. It's horrible. Or if they've got a job when they're on the lo- alone all day. Postman. Oh. Yeah. Example. First one I thought. Not of. many of those people would choose to be a postman, but yes, yeah. if you if you had a job or a you know call center or something that really hated, something where you really found really isolatory, you couldn't really. Well, call center, you're talking to people all the time. <laughs> Do you imagine a call center? How often people would just hang up on you? I know. <laughs> Continuously. Put up your hand if you've never been rude to someone at a call center. <laughs> I'm feeling bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm Sorry. Not that's the most interactive you know place in the world, a call center. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Which is an interesting thing itself because the kind of match between the sort of person you are and then what you choose or if you can choose work-wise to do is a really interesting one. Yes. So going back to the artists, poets, writers, philosophers, they need to create work lives where they can be on their own. Yes. To actually do what they need to do. Yeah. Too much interaction with the world is too transactional, too much just backwards and forwards, too much ping pong, never get to anything good. Yeah. They need to be left alone to explore their view of their internal world, organise their thoughts, or, but organise their creativity. Allow their creativity to happen, they would say. I think that's what they'd say. Yeah. If you look at their, what their brains are doing, you'd agree. You see their frontal lobes and you see all sorts of interesting things happening, which happen in a different state when you're not interacting with the world. So let's go back to these people who are uncomfortable being alone. I find it kind of fascinating. And I guess people will know if they are those people. So... What should they either do? A, make sure you're never alone. That's one solution. Or B, can they learn to be more comfortable on their own, given that it, they're likely to be in that position a fair bit, um, you know, between now and when they die? A pretty easy way to find out is yeah. send them to meditation, mindfulness, etc. Now I've mine, been accused of this. <laughs> a friend of mine, a comedian, I won't say his name, but you probably know it, went to one of those ten day retreats in the Blue Mountains in um, just outside of Sydney and he, he said, oh, it's going to be so good. I'm just going to be at peace with myself. He left after half an hour. <laughs> couldn't supposed to meditate for eight hours a day and they got a guided meditation. So I couldn't handle it. It was terrible. Exactly. Yeah. Could have joined a silent order of priests or something. Can you imagine people who do that for I years? I often thought that would be awesome. See, like, now- not now, but, but sometimes – I just thought, man, that'd be so peaceful. <laughs> I don't know if I'd hate it or not. I reckon I'd like it for a while. What's well, interesting test that some people can thrive in that situation. Now, I would put myself in the I'd be, I'd last more than half an hour. <laughs> Maybe not a day though. Maybe not a whole day. <laughs> Maybe not overnight. Maybe not the next day. I'd put myself in the I quite like. I get pleasure out of the interaction with others. Yeah. Um, I would. I would want to make more use of the time. To do something, I wouldn't want to just be on my own. Yeah. So See, probably... they would say, whoever they are, the meditation teachers, but this is the most useful part of your time, doing nothing. Yes. Well, those who've seen me in those classes know that I've often tendency to fall asleep, <laughs> or, <laughs> so, or get a bit twitchy, 
or want to chat to the person next yeah, to me. Yeah. <laughs> Find out what they're doing. Uh, yeah, be quiet in the back. <laughs> yes, could you stop that <laughs> now? But I think what you've tried to emphasise in this episode, which I think is really important, is the upside. I mean, yeah, but- I'm, I'm, I'm going with the upside of social connection most of the time in interaction, but there's an, there is an upside to this kind of thinking and from a mental health point of view, toning it down, seeing the richness of your internal world. Yeah. And to some extent, I'm sort of saying what, what abilities, what, what relationship with the world might arise from having time to do that. But what I, what I ask you that you haven't quite answered yet is if you are one of those people who feels uncomfortable alone, should you just accept it? And make sure you're not alone much, or should you, can you try and learn to be more comfortable? And is there an advantage in doing that? So let's agree the advantage of all of these things, whichever way you do it, yeah. is, to, is to turn down. We, we have a tendency to be overstimulated. Yes, particularly and, in 2023 as opposed to 1823. Exactly. The lights are on 24-7, the screens are on 24-7, the information is there. Our world winds us up. Yep. So from a mental health point of view, and I mean, when I say mental health, I'm going to say brain health point of view as well. There is a need to turn it off, turn it down. That's how the brain itself rewires and does yeah. things. Sleep. Through sleep, but also through quieter periods. We're not really built. Actually, brain excitation, brain activity is itself toxic. What? It's, you burn stuff up. <laughs> the, the, the excitatory aspect, when you're sending lots and lots of messages, you overload the system. Right. Yep. And that actually wears out, if you wanted to see it in tire terms, or it wears out the mechanics of it. So brain cells have to regenerate, things have to rearrange themselves. You've got to have downtime. Yeah. Now sleep but is But some people the, need more than others. Yeah. No, no, we all need it though. Yeah. So those people who tell you they're on 24-7 and they can, you know, run the country. I'm interested just recently, you know, the number of people who've had to say they are exhausted. Mark McGowan, the New South uh, Western Australian Premier, has just left. I'm exhausted. People say, what do you mean you're exhausted? You seem to be enjoying yourself. He said, I cannot be on. He's been on full time yeah, as a Premier. Oh, yeah. I'm burnt out. I've had it. Yeah. Jacinda Ardern, I've had it. These are people who are saying those – and he said people don't realise the extent to which he is supposed to be on 24-7 oh, as the yeah, Premier, responsible. Any, any hour of the day and night and through the whole COVID thing, he's exhausted. Well, he's not saying that metaphorically. I would say he's saying that literally. Yeah. And I would say from a brain health point of view, he's reporting exactly that. You can't do that. Need to take time out. You know, the kind of, we used to have the, you know, the prime minister's gone to the tea gardens for two weeks at Christmas to rest. Yeah, John yeah. Howard and others. Yeah. The prime minister should have a week off. Everyone needs time out, turn down time every day. Yeah. But, but in many of our busy lives, it used to be the weekend or something else. But you're raising a thing also, which is what do you do during that time, which I think is important. Quiet time. <laughs> yeah. You know. see, well, see, that's the thing. What if quiet time makes you uncomfortable? What you, what, this is what you're going to do. If you are a person who feels uncomfortable on your own, but you feel overstimulated, you're going to be at home alone and you're quickly going to turn on the TV. I just, I, you know, that, is the, that is the way of being alone without being alone, isn't it? That's one. So people love, oh, James, what do we love? The radio, the voice oh, in the yeah, background. Yeah. You're not alone. But you've got other people. I was going to say many of those people, if you are, sorry, if you are one of those persons who isn't really that comfortable being alone, often those people, and I've been accused of this myself and there's some truth in this, if you're doing something, you'll relax. The goal is to relax. The goal is to turn things okay. down. That might be, not my favorite, but play golf. 
It might be gardening, cooking, gar- doing an activity, and the radio is, might be on while you're doing it. You might have the radio on. You might be listening to the cricket. You might be listening to HG and Roy. You might be listening to football. You yeah, might be whatever. listening to race. Whatever you're doing, music, classical music's on the background. You're actually doing something, but you're not interacting in the world. You actually are on your own, yeah. but you're relaxing. The point here is to turn brain stimulation down. In a sense, relax. Relax through activity, not relax through no activity. Yeah. So the physiological response to that then is the same. Right. But but I guess But you're doing it. You don't you're not you're not sort of forcing yourself to lie there and meditate, you know, holding your I'm clutching yeah. myself here. Clutching yourself tightly, I'm gonna relax, I'm gonna relax. So so I, I, I guess the point you're making is that if you feel a bit of uncomfortable, you, you know, you're not comfortable alone, accept that everyone needs a little bit of downtime and work out the way being alone can work for you, i.e. what are the other things you need to add that, work that for make you. it peaceful yeah. and relaxing? Yeah, so this is permission not to attend the mindfulness class. This is permission you do not have to do the eight-day yoga in silence, but you do need to find a way. You're going to say yeah. be alone. I'm going to say find a way of relaxing that's removed yeah. from yeah. social stimulation. Well, a lot of couples who've been together a while can sit very comfortably doing their own thing in the same room and not say a word for a couple of hours. So it's like being alone because you feel so comfortable with the other person and you know them so well, there's not all that much to talk about if you both didn't have particularly interesting days. I mean, you can find something if you need to, but it's almost like, you know, you could argue the best of both worlds sometimes. Yes. And I'd say a lot of, a very good example. A lot of older couples who are doing that, it's not just that they've stopped talking to each other. Yeah. (laughs) It's not just they've had enough of each other. Just that. Not just they're bored (laughs) with each other. They are just comfortable enough to continue, and they're doing exactly that. Yeah. They actually are in their own head, in their own space, comfortable, but not uncomfortable about being lonely, about being separate, content with their world. So the opposite is if you're someone who's fairly comfortable being alone, like me, and particularly if maybe you have a little bit of social anxiety, like you and me and lots of other people, maybe being alone can be too tempting. You know, it's quite nice. I could go out, but kind of nice. Like I've always had the view to go out to something social. It has to be a pretty good option because I really like a quiet night at home. And and so I guess there is, you know, you're huge on the uh, importance for mental health of social interaction. There's a tempting for people like us, it could be too easy an, an option. And so you miss out on that social interaction. Yes. Yes. And you go a bit weird. <laughs> well... You lose, you lose. No, you, you just said a really important thing. You create a really high threshold for interaction. Yeah. So you miss out on the benefits of all those incidental interactions with the world, yeah. which are important to regulating one's own health, keeping you in your connections with others. Left on your own, people do run off to some very unusual thoughts and sometimes very unusual behaviours, and they normalise that. Okay, I really need to talk to people once a week. Right. I don't really need to go out in the world. And, and in the post-COVID world, we've got a lot of people doing this now. Well, I was quite comfortable. Oh, that COVID was terrible. I'm going to remember people like myself. COVID's terrible. It's ruined the social world. A whole lot of people are going, no, you're kidding. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working from home. Yeah. I'm on my own. They're missing out on the benefits, which you're quite right, because I'm pushing people like myself and yourself who, who are not unhappy to do that, yeah. to retreat and I kind of like the things I'm doing and I don't necessarily want to have to spend too much time with others. 
that isn't that productive. <laughs> you think it's like exercise, don't you? Do it even if you don't want to because it's good for you. Yes. i got to confess, I enjoy it more than I enjoy exercise, but I am putting it in so the exercise yoga. <laughs> yes. And if you don't really like it and you really do prefer to be on your own, then I'm going, now, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. You need it. You need it. And you, the, the benefits of going out and being in contact. And it's the unexpected. So you, an interesting thing as well, you, you create this mental threshold in advance. If it's not this good, it's not yeah. worth doing. I'm of the, and my kids are always telling me, would you please not talk to everyone in the street or people we've never met or whatever? And I go, look, look, look. I'm, I, want the th- I want things to happen that I did not expect to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. I want to meet interesting people by accident. Yeah. Um, you know, if I thought in advance what might happen, I can't predict that some of the best things that happen are unpredictable. <laughs> some of the most interesting persons sit next to on a plane or something happens and you chat to someone in the street and you sit next to someone at dinner. I didn't know. I went to dinner the other night. I sat next to a fascinating scientist I'd never met just randomly because someone had moved the seat cards to put me next to him. I oh. said, can we sit together like two blokes? He said it was fine with him. Right. Fascinating life story. And across the table was a younger woman who I would have never always met who had long discussion about the future of the ABC. Oh. <laughs> She's 22. Is right. there any future for the ABC? Now, for those who know right. myself and James, we, we're of that group that we love the ABC. But if it doesn't connect with younger audiences, well, there she was. I've, I could not have predicted because this was a medical science dinner, right? Right. So, you, yeah. If I had said in advance, and in fact, there was some discussion in my household in advance. About whether Are we really going to this because this is going to be filled with boring people who yeah. whatever and they just really don't know how to enjoy themselves and there'll be long speeches and <sighs> couldn't we stay home and just – as it turned out, two really set – really, for me, really interesting people, really contrasting. I couldn't have predicted. That's the advantage. Okay. Got it. Now, if I were to dinner like that every night and never spend any time on my own, <laughs> that wouldn't be a good thing. Um, I, get, I was just thinking that when people separate after a long relationship, that is a time where they've fa- got to fairly abruptly adjust to not being alone all that much, to being alone a fair bit. So any advice for them, particularly those people who might not find it naturally easy to be alone, but even people who are kind of not in that category, that big adjustment, like you walk in the door and the house feels just alone. Empty, sad. Yeah, and that's a terrible feeling. Yeah. So that just kind of that uh, churn, oh, I'm on my own. I didn't want to be on my own. I'm here on my own. Now what yeah. do I do? Now, this is where the do bit. So one, one of we, I think we've discussed this before. One is get on the phone, get on the text, go out with other people. Yeah. Don't, don't, just, sit, don't, just, sit there, yeah, don't just sit there and suffer. The other, I think, is though people, and you see this with ageing, you see this in other areas, Take up some other things. I know people recently who've taken up drawing, painting. Oh, nice. Writing. Activities that are well done on your yes. own. Where you learn a skill you, and, and while doing you're, – you're doing the thing. So your concentration, your effort is on the thing, which is engaging. Great. I have a friend who's threatening to take me drawing again drawing. in Europe. And I'm the worst person in the class. A, I can't draw. B, I don't tend to sit still. <laughs> Whereas the others, people, they love it. They sit there, they start drawing. So there's a group of people, but they go quiet. They love it. And he, Paul, says to me, Ian, there's some drawing. You're going to, now we all know you can't draw, <laughs> but we're going to work on it. Uh. We're going to teach you a little bit of perspective here. You know, like 
we can teach a little bit. Now, actually, the truth is, I quite like to do that, even though I have no skill at it. Yeah, right. And you wouldn't want to see what I've drawn in half an hour's time. Yeah. But the act of doing it. So if you find yourself in one of those situations where you're on your own, think about actually acquiring a new skill yeah. that goes well with being on one's own. Yeah, great. And I think this is why people do often do other things like garden and activities that, you know, <laughs> some people tell me ironing's very nice, but I can't see it myself. But, you know, they do certain isolatory activities where they relax and there's a kind of repetitiveness to it or there's a skill acquisition. So they don't have the terrible sense of knitting. Yeah. They don't have the terrible sense of being on their own. Yeah. But they can be on their own and and go to our mental health point, relax, calm down, feel at at ease instead of feeling so ill at ease. Do you do any of those things, James? I mean, you write. Well, I write. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the perfect thing to do on your own. And do, you know, yoga or exercise. That's a read. good thing to do on your own. Read. I'd like to promote yeah. reading again. Yeah. I used to read many more books than I read these days. And that, that's a loss. Yeah, well. Because it takes time and really you have to do it on your own. <laughs> that's right. It's not a group activity. It's, Despite book clubs and everything else, it's yeah. not. You have to do it on your own. But you disappear into it. It's marvellously fulfilling feeling. Yeah. But I think it's one of those things, again, that we tend to have lost with screen time and streaming coming in. Couldn't agree more. Everyone discusses the 15 series of something they're watching, which really isn't the same as disappearing into a book. Well, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I agree with you in a way, but I don't know what the evidence is. Like why is reading superior to watching? Oh, I mean, well. it's more active. You're actually pushing your eyes across the page. You're no, your mental. There's a mental mental imagery. Yeah. A book is a mental imagery. Same people, different people, sorry, read the same book. They have a completely different imagined reality yeah, of the people, yeah. of the characters. They'll even tell you different stories out of the same book. Yeah. Their experience of reading the book. Whereas if you've just sat through whatever Netflix series you've just sat through or HBO or whatever else, People have seen the same thing. They may not have reacted the same way, but it's pretty much determined. The characters I show and the visual representation. There's not much room for your own mind to add. It's pretty mindless. Although, it can be entertaining. No. Well, I don't know. I'm watching Barry at the moment, which is uh, one of the best TV shows ever made, I think. Uh, and I think about it a lot during the day. What did that mean? Why did that happen? I do that with a good book too, I guess. But Look, I mean, for... I, Got a bit of a thing at the moment. I think there are great films still. I'm not sure there are so many great oh, extended yeah. series. But anyway, others will disagree. I just think in terms of mental imagery, I just think in terms yeah. of disappearing inside. Yeah. The visual world, the, this is a visual thing. The visual world pr- represented to you, we literally take it as it is. Now, depending on the yeah, emotional agreed. tone of those things, whereas books. And, and also, screens are in front of us all day anyway, so it's good to get away from that yeah. and read something on your Kindle, which is a screen. Yeah, so back into the bathtub, get the book out, <laughs> you know, read. Yeah, okay. You know, when we're talking about being alone, being a, a good place to process thoughts and think things through, is there a danger that you can think things through from your own perspective so much, So particularly if some you know, adverse things have happened to you at work or whatever, you get into this loop about how wronged you are and how wrong everyone else was and how right you were and that can feel empowering, I guess, but it can also kind of, you know, every time you do it, maybe you change the story a bit more so that they were even wronger 
and worse and you're even more heroic and better and unjustly, you know, unjustly uh, treated. And there you have it. That is why you can people- You tell I do that You can bit. tell. Those people <laughs> who've got that other voice in their head, yeah. that is why you are not to spend so much time on your own. Yeah. You can so elaborate that thing. You've written three chapters of yeah. something that never really happened. You so elaborated it, you made it worse. You've dug that hole so much deeper that then it makes it hard to go and interact. You, you've arrived at a whole lot of set of conclusions. And if you're in a conversation yes. with someone a lot earlier, they would have said, hang on a second, that didn't happen like that. That's not really what happened. You know, and you would have aborted that very self-destructive negative line of yeah. thinking. And, of course, the other way you can do it is, you know, I've, I've been talking about you as a unjustly treated great person, but, of course, a lot, the other way people do it is to replay things and run themselves down. Oh, I was so stupid there and what an idiot I am and everyone must think because I said that and all that. Everyone noticed. Everyone heard. Yeah. No Someone one goes, heard. We didn't no hear. Were you even there? Yeah. What? They didn't say that. What are you talking about? So the confrontation with the reality of other people's perception, you can abort that stuff. Yeah. That stuff is very negative. So part of the reason those people now ask yourself the question, how many voices you've got in your head? <laughs> If you're very well aware, you've got that other voice running, and that other voice tends to be self-critical. Yes. That other, that other voice, that other way of seeing the world, it's your voice, of course, that tends to take you that way, has a lot of negative outcomes. That thing is undoubtedly elaborated. It's more active in people who are on their own a lot. They are people who should not spend a lot of time on their own. Well, is that the solution, or is it just being aware of that and saying, again, as we say so often, I'm doing that thing again, where else can I take my mind? Maybe No, just... this, is, this is a really interesting one because um, I often make the comment, sometimes when I'm in a consulting room and there's, I think there's two of us, there's three of us. <laughs> <laughs> there's me, you, and your voice. It's very interesting to watch because I'll be saying something, the person will say something, and you can see there's another voice running. Oh, right. Which is not often because people often don't want to take that other voice out in public. Yeah, you know they don't really want you to know. Yeah, because it sounds funny. It sounds odd. Yeah. I'm worried what someone like me might make of that. And I'll go, no, no, come on, don't tell me the one you just told me. Tell me what the other voice. Tell me what you, were, which is kind of what you're really thinking. And there's people go, you, you reading my mind? And I go, no, I'm not reading your mind. I just know that there's another train running here. Oh wow. That is providing an alternative kind of perspective. Yep. Because whatever we're talking about overtly is not something you're going with. It's running into um, doesn't really fit right. with this other thing. That other, that other thing is there but may not be that well elaborated. And that's often the other one we've got to get out there. <laughs> and it often is self-critical. And we discussed yeah. self-loathing recently and other expressions. It's really negative. And left on its own, that two-voice thing, it's very powerful because okay. it seems to be the truth. Yes. I don't know why we think it is the truth, but we decide that one's telling the truth. Right. Everything else is just superficial. It's just wrapping paper. Here's what I really think. So getting that out. So on your own, I don't think that thing does come out for critical analysis. What I want to get out when I'm talking to people is that one, not what they think they should tell me or what's the socially acceptable bit. I want to know what do they really think? What's the really negative thing that has very powerful in their life that they're not challenging. Right. And it's hard to do that on your own. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. You, can, you, like, you know how you said, you know, you have conversations in your head and I do too. Yeah. So isn't it possible to think, oh, here I am, I'm doing that thing again where I've interpreted events with me as a complete 
loser or victim or unjustly treated hero or whatever I do. And, you know, maybe I should modify that or maybe I should just turn my earpods up a bit and blast it out with a bit of Fleetwood Mac or whatever. Now, James, I hate to take you back to your lawyer days. Yeah. But, you know, when you're the independent mediator and the person comes in to explain yeah, the crime yeah. they committed, the situation they're in, and you have to sit there and listen, the big advantage you have is your independence. Yeah. And you've heard a bit of this before. And you can say stuff. You can say stuff without emotionality. You can just yeah. say stuff in a straightforward way that the other person needs to hear. So this is really an ad for therapy, an endorsement of therapy. Of the independent third party. Yes. Now, the best sort of independent third party for many of these things is someone who's trained to do it. Yeah. I don't, I don't suggest you do your own lawyer. I actually, despite <laughs> all the things I say about lawyers, I suggest you get one and don't represent yourself. Yeah. In the therapy type situation, if this other voice and these other problems are really problematic, the idea that you were just promoting that you can do it yourself is it like self-do it law or self-do it surgery. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. Because okay. you're not independent of it. Right. Yeah. And that thing's been very powerful. It's the great advantage of the third party, of the mediator, of the independent listener. And, you know, mainly what the therapists are doing is being an independent listener. They're not really being – they're not confronting you. They're just getting you to get it out there. Yes. (laughs) Just so you can even hear what you're saying. And often when people just bring it out and start saying it, they sort of stop. Do you find this when you were doing the criminal law stuff? I was really justified. It was okay. I killed him or hit him. And then as they're telling the story, they start to go, well, not really that justified. And maybe I did lose the plot. Yeah, right. And and maybe I should be – feel bad about it, you know, some degree of contrition. Yeah, people would sometimes do with road rage. They'd go, well, I had to chase him. He cut me off, right? So I had to, okay. Um, and then so you followed him to his house and then you got out holding, you know, a tire jack or something. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that could have been. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Maybe At some point, yeah. you just sitting there. Just the elaboration of that, yeah. as they tell the story. At some point, it comes across them that perhaps, yeah, something. You know, sure, I know what started it, but what followed wasn't really justified. Yeah. And then the emotionality can go down, and a more realistic appraisal can happen. Okay, so we've talked about the benefits of being alone, how it's good for for us to have some time to process things, to replenish. Some people need it more than others. Some people feel a bit uncomfortable like that, but maybe they can find uh, an activity to do that kind of feels you know, productive and interesting while they're replenishing and being alone. And also, I guess one of the pitfalls is getting into this loop with your own, in your own head with the second voice. So be aware of that. Any questions, comments, if you'd like to suggest further topics for us, please send us an email at mindingyourmind2, that's numeral 2 at gmail.com. Uh, our book, Minding Your Mind, is out. And our podcast is supported by the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help is available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them. We can call Lifeline on 13114.